Welcome to the Australian Finance Podcast. I'm Kate Campbell. And I'm Owen Rusk. And we're here to give you the tools and knowledge to invest both your time and money better. If you're new, feel free to jump in with our Starter Pack series that aired in early 2022 or our Shares or ETF mini series. We've got plenty to share with you in today's episode, but if you want to catch us on socials, head to Rask Australia on Insta and Twitter. I'm also found at Kate Campbell AUS on Insta. And I'm Owen Rask AU on Insta. Just beware of the fake accounts. We'll never DM you about trading strategies or crypto. And if it sounds a bit weird, it's probably not us. And just one final heads up before we get into the show, this podcast contains general financial information only. Well, Matt, welcome onto the Australian Finance Podcast today. Thanks very much. Great to be with you. Now, we've had a few economists on the podcast before, but you're from a non-finance probably background in terms of where you work right now. You actually work for Seek. Yeah, that's right. And I'm Seek's first economist as well. So they hadn't had one um, before me. But um, Seek, as you'd imagine, has lots of amazing data about the Australian labour market. And they wanted somebody who could come in and play with it and find out interesting things. So that's my job. If someone hasn't heard about Seek, because we've mentioned it a few times on different careers podcasts, you're able to give us a 30-second rundown. Yeah, so Seek is Australia's number one employment marketplace, so it's where people go to to find jobs and where um, employers go to find staff. We're the number one in Australia. We're also number one in, I think, 11 other countries as well, so mostly in Southeast Asia and, and East Asia and New Zealand. Um, it's been going for around 25 years, so we recently celebrated our, our 25th anniversary um, at Seek and, and, yeah, going from strength to strength. Wonderful. And what does the, a day in the life look like as a, an economist at Seek? So it's pretty broad ranging because I am a, a team of one, I guess. I have kind of free reign to, to sort of comb through Seek's data on the Australian labour market and also look at external data as well to try and figure out what's going on. Uh, in the labour market. So I sort of have a, a two-way job. One is to try and inform people within Seek about what's going on in the labour market. So there I'm particularly drawing on, on ABS data and the like, um, but also in, in doing things like this podcast in trying to inform people outside Seek about what's going on uh, in the labour market and, and they're drawing much more on, on Seek's data. It's a very topical episode, especially most people listening to this podcast today will be working in some form, whether it's part-time, freelance, full-time capacities. So lots of interesting things to talk about today. But I wanted to kick off because we've recently had a lot of interest rate rises. We're feeling the pressure of cost of living increases. Our coffees at the shop down the road are going up in price. I'd be keen to hear from you how is this rising cost of living, the increase in inflation impacting the job market and what does it mean for us? So the rise in interest rates would normally be expected to make things worse for the jobs market, essentially. Um, normally when interest rates go up, unemployment follows. So the unemployment rate tends to rise. That hasn't happened yet. We're still kind of at uh, 3.5% unemployment rate, which is the lowest in nearly 50 years. That's good. So that's good. Unemployment remains really low. It's still pretty easy to get a job if you want one, certainly compared to how it has been in the past. But I think we should be expecting things to turn um, a, a little bit. So we should be expecting unemployment to rise and it to become a bit harder for, for people to find work who are looking for uh, for jobs. So certainly over the coming year, the Reserve Bank and others forecast a, a rise in the unemployment rate. Um, 
we do know with people struggling for the cost of with the cost of living, one way that people try and cope with that is to to look for new work because often that's when people get the biggest pay rises is when they do change jobs. So we see that behaviour as well. We've seen um, you know really strong numbers of people uh, going on seek and applying for for new jobs. Mm, I always find it interesting that it's much easier to get a pay rise by jumping companies than actually getting that pay rise internally. Yeah, that's right. And there's a range of research that shows that's the case. People who switch jobs do tend to get um, bigger wage rises than people who stay put. We see it in our data as well. So at the moment, the advertised salaries, so salaries for jobs advertised on Seek, are growing faster than overall wages and salaries. So uh, it is consistent with that idea that the best way to get a pay rise is to get a new job. Well, good to keep in mind if someone's thinking about if they go for an internal promotion or jump somewhere else this year. That's right. Yeah. Um, as, as I say, at the moment, the Seek Advertised Salary Index is running at 4.7% versus overall wages and salaries at 3.3%. So a pretty decent gap there um, between the, the rates of growth in advertised uh, salaries and overall wages and salaries. How have you seen wage growth change over time? Is it increasing a lot more in the last few years or has it slowed down? So before COVID, it had been pretty sluggish for a long time. So it had slowed down after peaking in the end of the mining boom around 2012-13. It started to slow and it was sort of in the 25 to 3% range for much of the past decade. Through COVID, as you'd imagine, it fell quite sharply. So people weren't getting big pay rises in 2020, but it has picked up since. So uh, in the in the past year, wages grew by 3.3%, as I mentioned. That's the fastest in around a decade. So that's the fastest that we've seen um, since 2012. Um, unfortunately, that still lags well behind inflation. So um, wages growth at 3.3%, but inflation is is still up around 7%. So people's real wages, what they can uh, can buy after adjusting for inflation, is is unfortunately falling. Mm. How do people? How do you measure wage growth? Because you hear the term thrown around a lot on the media. Yeah, so there's there's two kind of key measures that I've been referring to. One, this three point three percent that comes from the ABS. They okay. survey That's the the Australian Bureau of Statistics. Okay, Sorry to slip into <laughs> jargon there, but yeah. So this is the the official statistics agency of the Australian government. Um, they do a survey um, of employers and every quarter, and they use that survey to to measure wages growth. So they survey a random sample of employers. Mm-hmm. And they ask those employers to to give them information about a random sample of the people who work for them. The the good thing about the Bureau of Stats is that they're legally they're able to legally compel people to reply to their surveys. Really? So as a result, okay. their surveys have really good response rates. So that that's the the wage price index, the the measure I've been referring to there. And another measure is the Seek Advertised Salary Index, where we use the salaries in just as it sounds like jobs that are advertised on Seek um, to give some measure of how fast those are rising. Okay, so quite a bit of data there going into that. Yeah, that's right. And, and for the advertised salary index, um, even though if you go on Seek, it's only a minority of jobs that will actually show you what the, the advertised salary is. We actually have that information in the background for all of those jobs. So we're able to draw on that uh, in putting together that advertised salary index. And there is, you know, give or take a quarter of a million new job ads every month. And, and that goes into our advertised salary index. That's a lot of new jobs. Wow. It is, yeah. Um, yeah, and, you know, uh, it's been pretty consistently mm. strong, so we're still well above pre-COVID levels. There's lots of opportunities out there. As I mentioned before, unemployment's super low. When unemployment's low, there tends to be a lot of job ads, and that's certainly what we've seen o- over the last few years. Um, but we shouldn't necessarily expect it to stay that way. 
So you've talked about the the wage growth and increasing over the last few years. Are there any standout industries that have increased a lot faster or maybe decreased a lot faster than others? Yeah, so none of them are decreasing. We're not seeing wages fall anywhere, but we're certainly seeing wages grow more slowly in some Mm -hmm. industries. I'd say in general, the real kind of sluggish growth has been in the public sector. So people who work uh, in government, that includes both sort of, you know, office-based public servants, but also people in industries like healthcare and education and training, for example, where there's large public sector components, their wages growth has been more sluggish than than the overall figures. Um, The real kind of standouts have been actually in a few sort of blue collar industries. So um, manufacturing and wholesale trade, for example, have have led the field over the past um, past year or so. Um, we see in, in Seekstarter, some industries like um, consulting, for example, and the law are, are pretty sluggish. So they're right down the bottom there. Those kind of white collar professional industries have been uh, growing much more slowly than, than the overall market. Is that sort of a representation of how many graduates are going into those fields as well? It's in part about that, yeah, part about um, so labour supply, the number of people who's uh, entering those fields. It's also just something about um, the way the economy's gone in the last couple of years since we kind of got hit with COVID essentially. um, The parts of the economy that have boomed the most have been those that supply goods rather than services. So, um, you know, all sorts of things from household furniture through to clothes, through to whatever, any kind of physical goods, whether it's making them, transporting them, selling them, that has been the kind of booming sector of the economy. And services, particularly your kind of white collar office based services, they've done all right, but they certainly haven't boomed to anything like the same extent. Mm. Is that sort of an indication of where we've been spending our money as consumers over the past few years? That's right. And that was particularly true through 2020 and 2021 when we were sort of in and out of lockdowns. Um, Lots of online shopping. Yeah, that's right. There was very few opportunities to spend money on services. You know, you couldn't go to restaurants. You couldn't go to Mm. whether it's sporting events or, you know, um, cultural events. Uh, You couldn't go to to doctors and health professionals and, and spend on those types of services for at least some of that period. But you could do online shopping. You could get things delivered to your house. You could renovate your house and people certainly did all of those things. That's starting to unwind now. Mm -hmm. So we're going back to a more sort of normal pattern of consumption or normal split between goods and services. Um, But certainly over the past couple of years, we've seen really, really strong demand for goods and that's kind of playing out in the labour market. Hmm. Interesting to listen to those cycles sort of playing out as well. And I know we're always interesting to hear a little bit of what's happening in the future. So I was wondering if you had any data to share on maybe over the next decade or so, what maybe Seek or some of the data shows will be some of the highest earning industries around? Well, normally your best bet about what uh, will be the highest earning industry in the future is what is the highest earning industry today. Yep. Um, so in in part, I think when we like look out over the past, one thing that strikes me is how little some things have changed. So a lot of the jobs that were in biggest demand 25 years ago when Seek started are still the jobs that are in biggest demand today. Okay. So if I was placing a bet on what would be the kind of strongest demand 10 years from now and, and the highest wages, it would be, well, it'll probably look more or less like it like it does today. So your sort of high high paid medical professionals and so on are likely to remain high paid uh, into the future. I think the big um, 
risk or the big kind of unknown factor is about the effect of AI and about new technology and the effect that will have on the labor market. Um, nobody really knows and anybody who expresses uh, really great confidence about exactly how this is going to affect the labor market probably shouldn't be listened to. But I think we can have some confidence that it's going to have an effect. I think it'll have the biggest effect on jobs that can be most easily kind of automated or where you are carrying out some series of kind of repeated steps and it's relatively straightforward to, to get a machine to, to do those same steps. Some of those jobs will be highly paid, like um, radiographers, for example, people who, you know, whose job is to look at x-rays and identify whether people have a particular injury or, 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 or illness. Um, that is the sort of thing that computers are starting to get pretty good at. And, and that's a high paid job that I would predict will be less high paid in 10 years. Not saying it'll go away, but it might fall down the rankings a bit. Yeah, your thoughts echo a conversation I had on the show recently with futurist Steve Sammartino, and he discussed that you should actually be looking at what are some of the things you do in your day-to-day -day job, and are there repeating tasks that yep. you do, and are there a lot of things on a computer that don't involve talking to other people, yep. and finding ways that potentially even in your current job that you can be more valuable? Yeah, that's right. I mean, all of us, every job can be broken into different kinds of tasks. Some of those tasks will be more or less kind of able to be automated or replaced with technology, right? Um, like if you're doing something that involves kind of, you know, looking at a spreadsheet and copying some numbers into another spreadsheet, that type of thing, that type of automated kind of data entry, mundane sort of process is less likely to exist to still be something that's done by you or another human uh, in 10 years time. Um, but the type of thing we're doing right now, having a direct personal conversation between, you know, human beings, I I'm pretty confident that that's going to continue to exist. Similarly, you know, jobs that like um, physiotherapists or aged care nurses, jobs that involve doing physical things in the real world, are less likely to be affected by technology, at least in, in the short term. So you don't think there's going to be robots looking after our grandparents in 10 years' time? In 10 years' time, I'd be pretty surprised, yeah. yeah. Uh, like in 30-plus years' time, who knows? But, yeah, over that sort of short to medium term, I think um, you could be more confident that those types of jobs are safe. It's fascinating. I was speaking to a friend recently and they were applying for a job online and they actually used ChatGPT to help write their cover letter and they got accepted for the next round of interview, which I thought, I don't know if that's cheating or... Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's cheating necessarily, you know, like if, if that gets you ahead, you, you'd want to be confident that whatever ChatGPT is saying is accurate and you're going yeah. to be able to, to kind of back it up in interviews. Um, yeah, I think there's going to be more and more automation on both sides of the kind of job hiring process. Like you might be submitting some uh, cover letter that ChatGPT helped you work on and the recruiter at the other end or the employer at the other end might be using ChatGPT to help them sort through the results. So there's certainly going to be more uh, kind of um, computers involved in, in the recruitment process. Um, but ultimately, um, you know, hiring decisions are still largely, I think, going to be made by people. Um, so... ChatGPT might help you get your foot in the door, but you're still going to need to prove yourself at interview. And it's also the case that kind of if everybody's using um, tools like ChatGPT, then that does sort of level the, level the playing field yes. a bit and, and, and um, a more personal touch might help you stand out in that situation. Yeah, I was just interested to know like what employers are asking you and seek about these emerging technologies and how they can maybe use them for good or weed out people that are using them. Yeah, so we... Um, we kind of work with employers to help them find the best people. So certainly with small businesses, they're able to get 
direct personal advice from a human at Seek to, to help them, you know, word their, their job ads in the best way. Um, it is a constant um, challenge, I guess, to make sure that that people, that employers are getting the most high quality and relevant applications. Like it doesn't suit anybody if there's a flood of applications from people who are unlikely to, to stand a realistic chance at getting yeah. a particular job. So that is a challenge uh, and it's something we um, put a lot of effort into at Seek is that sort of um, search and matching. We want to match the right person to the, the right job. Yeah, because in the past, the cover letter was often the way you could show you went the extra mile and didn't just flood every every company with your resume. Yeah, that's right. I think that has probably changed a little bit over time. And, you know, um, I mean, obviously now, like we've been talking about, there are tools like uh, ChatGPT and other large language models that can help you do that. So it's less it, less stand out. But also I think we've seen people sort of uh, copy and paste, you know, letters. So it's less of a personal touch um, in that sort of environment. Um you know, personal introductions and kind of connections might become more valuable again, um, but also more generally, whatever you can do to sort of stand out on your on your CV as well. You know, a- accumulating re- relevant experience and skills, I think, is going to be uh, going to be more important than ever. Yeah, and we did an excellent episode a few months back with Shelley Johnson, the author of Sort Your Career Out. So you're, if you're interested in how you can actually add that personal touch and stand out from the crowd, I'd really encourage listeners to go back to that episode. But on the topic of jobs, I think we're changing jobs, well, it seems anecdotally at least, the under 40 crowd that I speak to and in our community, we're changing jobs a lot more. And I'd be keen to hear, is that coming through in the data and maybe what change and impact that has on the workforce? Yeah, it's a strange one. I hear the same thing and certainly like from, you know, friends and family like seem to change jobs more than um, more than was the case in the past. Overall, though, it doesn't really come through in the numbers. So we see um, the Bureau of Statistics, like we were talking about before, they do regular surveys and ask people, you know, did you change jobs in the last three months or the last 12 months? Those numbers haven't really done much. So um, in February, the the proportion of workers who had changed jobs in the prior three months was about 5%. So one in 20 people was was a kind of new starter in their job. That's right in line with where it's been for around a decade and is actually lower than it had been uh, earlier in, say, the 1990s. So Mm. the proportion of people who change jobs in any given kind of quarter or year has, has fallen a little bit over the long term and remain sort of static in in the last decade. What we have seen um, is a rise in in part-time work, particularly through the 90s, part-time and casual work rose a lot and it's stayed high um, since then. And and people in part-time and certainly casual jobs um, do tend to, to stay in those jobs a bit less than people in full-time uh, kind of permanent jobs. Yeah, it's interesting because when we think about our parents' generation, they might have worked in 10 different roles, but it was in the same company and they just stayed there for life. And it feels like when you speak to your friends with by the age of 30, we've worked in five different companies. Yeah, that's right. I think there's definitely more. When people change jobs now, they're more likely to have a, a bigger change, you know, whether it's yeah. changing industries or certainly changing uh, employers. So um, people have more sort of general skills that are transportable uh, across employers and across industries, whereas people in the past when industries like, say, manufacturing were a bigger part of the, uh, of the labour market, um, you'd accumulate many more skills that were kind of specific to particular employers. So people did tend to stay put a bit more in those sort of roles. Yeah, I'm also interested in some of the biggest changes to the way we work, because I know you recently published a special report looking at some of these factors. And maybe if you could chat about some of the most interesting ones to you personally about how 
the way that we work and live our lives day to day has changed? Yeah, so I think uh, the number one that stands out to me is a pretty new one, uh, and it's the work from home trend. So uh, before COVID, you know, it's not that long ago, um, but before COVID, it was pretty rare that that people worked from home on a kind of regular basis, and certainly more than uh, for for a day here or there. Whereas now, it's it's really widespread. Uh, and it's been the number one search term on Seek for for <laughs> basically since COVID. So hit. people so, are looking for jobs where they can work from home or have ex- the option. Exactly, yeah. So people used to go on Seek. Well, they still do, but it used to be that the top ranking search terms were things like admin job or retail job, and yeah. now it's work from home. Really? People okay. just are most interested in that ability to work from home. So people really value that. Uh, employers, I think, have have recognised that. So the proportion of job ads that say you can work from home has also risen really sharply. So so that I think is is the number one trend that really stands out, and and it's sort of come out of nowhere. Um, yeah, more generally, I think uh, say if we compare now to twenty five years ago when Seek started, um, certainly technology is much more integrated into our working lives than it was then. That that's obviously true of sort of office workers. Um, we use technology basically our whole working working day, which might not have been true 25 years ago, but also a range of other jobs. Like if, you, if you're working in a shop, you're using kind of um, point of sale uh, equipment um, th- that didn't exist 25 years ago. If you're driving a truck, you're using GPS equipment that didn't exist 25 years ago. Technology has become more embedded in and integrated into our working lives um, than it was before. Um, we're working longer, so average retirement ages have gone up. Um, the, the kind of gender split has changed. So there's more women in the workforce than there was 25 years ago. Um, and thankfully the gender pay gap has fallen a little bit as well. Um, I'd say we've, we've seen a greater emphasis on what we might call soft skills, meaning sort of interpersonal skills and things like that. Sort so of things like teamwork and communication. Exactly, that ability to work well with others essentially rather than um, doing kind of specific technical tasks like that's obviously still important but the sort of soft softer skills I don't really love that term but that's how it's not <laughs> usually described those sort of interpersonal skills um, yes. have, have really risen in importance over over the past uh, few decades yeah it's interesting they used to write soft skills and hard skills on job job ads yeah. you saw online and it's it's quite interesting that often it's those well I don't know those interpersonal skills yeah. as you said that are more important because you can learn a lot of those expertise areas on the job, but it's those yep. things like the willingness to learn and communication and responsibility that really help you the most. Yeah, that's right. And uh, like to be honest, I think that's um, it's been sort of gendered. Like it, in you know, to speak in broad stereotypes, at least in the past, it was thought that you know women did more of the the soft skills type jobs and and men did more of the the kind of technical hard skills jobs. Again, I don't like that terminology. Um, that has changed, and I just think there is a greater recognition that across a really broad range of jobs, um, that ability to work well with others and to communicate well with with clients and other stakeholders is super important. There's very few jobs where that isn't important. And in many cases, it's at least as important as your kind of technical skills in, in whatever your area of work is. Are you seeing some of that come through from employers in the, the jobs they put online, some of those words like the teamwork and communication just come through all the time? Yeah, that's right. So the proportion of job ads that that include keywords around those things has risen over time. So absolutely, employers are placing a, a greater priority on that. Hmm, interesting. And I know you mentioned the, the work from home trend. It's interesting, a few years ago, 
most of my jobs or my friends' jobs, they would never have been able to be working from home. Like the employer would never have thought that that was an option. And suddenly we all adapted. Yeah, that's right. And uh, things don't usually happen that way. So it's very rare that we have such a big kind of um, change to our working lives happen virtually overnight as it did with COVID, obviously kind of unusual circumstances. But it really seems to have stuck. So we haven't seen um, the proportion of job ads that say you can work from home start to go down over yeah. the last year as, as you know, uh, life has more or less gone back to normal uh, across Australia. Um, that really does seem like it's here to stay. Are there any other key search terms you see coming through that really demonstrate what Australians are looking for in jobs right now? Yeah, so not not, not necessarily search terms, but we certainly see some patterns in kind of uh, which jobs get the most applications, I guess. Um, one is, is salary, pretty obviously. So uh, particularly with the kind of cost of living crunch that's on, people want to, people are interested in increasing their salary. So uh, what we see is that job ads that include a visible salary, so salary that is shown to the, to the job seeker, those attract um, more applications than other job ads, particularly where the salary is uh, attractive. So just as you'd expect. And so it's not a guessing game. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So yeah, that's, that's uh, one key trend. People also seem to like um, perks, as you would expect. Yeah. So, so any kind of job ads that mention um, employee benefits, whether it's discounts on goods or services, discounts on health insurance, things like that, that, that seems to be pretty attractive. Um, and what we hear through um, our kind of research in speaking to, to job seekers is that people also place an increasing um, emphasis on the values of employers that, that they're considering. So they want to know that uh, employers share their values, whether it comes to sustainability or work-life balance or all sorts of things. Um, that seems to be uh, an, an increasing area that people are looking out for when they're applying for new jobs. I like that that's coming through because we spend so much time at our day job and with those people. So you want to make sure it's a really good fit for you and your life and your views. Yeah, that's right. And and it suits employers as well to to get a good match. You, an employer doesn't want somebody who's going to be um, uncomfortable or feel as if the, the workplace isn't the right place for them. Uh, it suits both sides to, to have a good match from the outset. So I think uh, employers being more upfront about the type of workplace that they are and, and what they, they value as, as an employer, I think can really help them too. Are you seeing less of an emphasis on things like tertiary qualifications? Because I know there's been a lot of debate on that you could do this job just as well by learning on the job or learning some different skills through other types of online learning before you jump in rather than you have to get this degree. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure about tertiary qualifications specifically, but we have seen a rise in the proportion of job ads that say no experience necessary. Okay. So that phrase in particular um, has gone up. Part of that might just be that it's a really hot labour market. So unemployment, as we talked about, is the lowest in around 50 years. So the demand for workers is really high. You'd expect in a period like this, when demand for workers is really high, that employers would be more willing to consider people who might have less experience or lower qualifications than they would otherwise have required. So we've seen that at different points in, in the past as well. Um, when unemployment is low, employers are more likely to give people a go who would otherwise not have, have got a look in. Yeah, the current economic circumstances are forcing them to be a bit more flexible. 
Yeah, that that's right. Um, at, at least while things stay stay good. So I mean, that's of benefit to. It's not just about qualifications, but also like say people with a disability tend to mm-hmm. fare better when unemployment is lower. People who've been in prison tend to fare better when when unemployment is lower. People with a whole range of kind of um, disadvantages get more of a look in that employers are more likely to consider them than they would uh, in a in a different market where workers are easier to find. Okay, that's really interesting. So there's quite a few other flow-on benefits of this current labour market. Yeah, that's right. I mean, low unemployment like this tends to disproportionately benefit disadvantaged groups, like I've just mentioned, but also young people, broadly defined. So when times are are good in the labour market, as they have been, youth unemployment tends to fall even faster than uh, unemployment for older people. So um, yeah, younger people do sort of benefit disproportionately from a strong labour market like the one we've, we've got at the moment. Very positive things for listeners, especially if they're considering applying for their first job out of uni or changing careers in the next 12 months. Yeah, that's right. I mean, um, we have seen sort of job ads start to come off a little bit in in the last year or so, but they're still well above pre-COVID levels. So there's still um, a lot of opportunities out there for, for anybody who's considering looking for a new job. Wonderful. Well, Matt, before we wrap up today's conversation, if I had to get you to take out your crystal ball and talk about some of the biggest trends shaping the future of work over the next few years, what would you say? Yeah, so number one, I'd say um, AI and other technology. So as we've talked about before, um, this question about which tasks and jobs can be replaced by technology, I think is is the number one question over the 10, 10 years ahead. Um, another is the aging society. So we know that on average, uh, well, we're all getting older every day, but you know, uh, Australia yeah. on average is getting older. Um, that's going to mean more demand for workers in healthcare, more demand for workers in aged care as well. Um, that's really going to shape the future of the workforce. So, you know, if you're looking for a secure job, a job in one of those industries is likely to be um, the most secure uh, going forward. Wonderful. Well, I know Seek have a lot of resources for if anyone's looking at trying to find a new job this year or wants help with cover letters and resumes, don't they? Yeah, that's right. So, yep, your best port of call if you're looking for a new job is absolutely seek.com.au. Wonderful. Matt, well, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Australian Finance Podcast. We hope you learned something new and were able to take one thing away from this episode. If you're keen to learn more, head on over to Rask Education and take one of our free money and investing courses. You could even become a Rask Core member for less than your Netflix subscription each month. And don't forget to subscribe for new episodes in your inbox every week. Plus, if you enjoyed the show, we'd love you to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and send any questions our way via the link in the description. And before we go on, did this podcast contain personal financial advice just for me? Absolutely not, Kate. Our podcast actually contains general financial information only. What that means is the information does not take into account your financial needs, goals, objectives, or even your situation. So because of that, it's important that you consider if the information is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on it. If that all sounds a bit confusing or you're still working out what your needs are, it's a great idea to consult a licensed and trusted financial planner. And don't forget to do your own research. I am so excited to tell you that InvestSmart and Intelligent Investor are long-term sponsors of this podcast. And here's something I want to tell you about. The Intelligent Investor Select Value Fund is a unique mix of global leaders and homegrown small caps poised for long-term growth. The portfolio manager is Nathan Bell, 
a talented investor you may have heard on the Rust Network multiple times. The Select Value Fund is designed for investors seeking international diversification and Aussie companies with superior financial metrics. You can invest today at intelligentinvestor.com.au slash IISV offer. That's intelligentinvestor.com.au slash IISV offer. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Before you go, I wanted to share some things with you. Specifically, I wanted to tell you about the 10 ways that Rask could help you in 2024. As many of you know, Rask has grown to become one of the biggest investing and finance platforms in Australia. Across our podcasts, our websites, our memberships, and so on, we now engage around 200,000 Aussies, which considering we started in a humble lounge room on a Kmart desk, one of those old fake white wooden ones, I'm pretty ecstatic about where we are six years later. As part of becoming one of Australia's biggest platforms for wealth creation and preservation, we now have a very special position in the country in that we can bring you some of the best, most thoughtful, expert-driven ways to protect and grow your wealth. And I'm going to share some of those with you now. I've got 10 ways that we can potentially help you or match you with someone who can. The first thing that I want to tell you about is the biggest step we've ever taken at Rask, which is the launch of our Rask Invest platform. This is a platform that lets our team, led by me, invest for you, primarily through low-cost, diversified ETFs. We'll have three strategies at launch, and every investor who comes through can pick one of the three strategies being a balanced strategy, a growth strategy, and a high-growth strategy. The balanced strategy focuses on passive income and the high growth strategy focuses on longer term compounding. You will find a link in your podcast player to register your interest. We will be taking off soon. Number two, if you prefer to DIY your investing, you can join me and over 4,000 members inside Rascore. That's our full ETF and ASX share research membership community. You can join now and you'll get updated ETF portfolio recommendations every quarter, as well as ongoing ASX and global stock research. Every single month, we call them the all-star stocks. You get that alongside the ETF portfolios, as well as other members-only content. It's called Rascore. Number three, our first ever partnership with a business other than our own was a business by the name of Blusk, which has since become Flint Group. Flint Group is led by Chris Bates and Christian Stevens, two of Australia's most highly regarded mortgage brokers. Already over 200 RAS community members have begun the RASC plus Flint Group mortgage broking process. You can click the link in your podcast player if you're refinancing, investing, a first home buyer, or whatever. You've probably heard Chris on the show many times. Number four, you can connect with our most trusted financial advisors. Whether you're 25 years old, just graduated uni and looking to set yourself up or approaching or in retirement and you've got that nest egg you want to protect and generate a passive income from, you can get in contact with our trusted panel of financial advisors. You can find the link in your podcast player. It's there each and every week. Just click the thing that says financial planning. Number five, if you want specialist insurance advice, as Warren Buffett said, rule number one is don't lose money. 
And rule number two is don't forget rule number one. Insurance is vitally important, especially when it comes to your number one asset, you. Whether you're a single income household or a couple and you just want to protect what would happen if. You want to protect your family if something goes wrong. You want to protect your spouse if you lose your job. You want to protect yourself if you hurt yourself on the weekend at footy. Insurance is a way to do that. And I think the best way to do insurance is through a financial planner. And there's a few reasons for that. But one of them is sometimes some insurers will only work with financial advisors, but they can also be your companion as you go through the sometimes daunting process of getting insurance done properly. Sometimes you might not even know, but you're not even covered, even though you think you are. So get the right advice. You'll find a link in the show notes to check that out. Number six, buying property. If you're like me and you're thinking of buying property in the next 12 months, or maybe you've already invested and you're looking to downsize, getting the right advice and being able to build wealth through property is a proven strategy. It might be one of the most contentious, but I think that we have one of Australia's best property coaches in our ranks. That is Pete Wargen. Pete is the host of the now super popular Australian property podcast by Rask, and he's also my analyst team's macro consultant. So if you're a member of Rascor, you will have seen Pete's name around the traps. He's a property coach and buyer's agent, and he works with a select number of people each and every year. Just a note on this. This is not a commercial thing with Pete. Pete just has great services, so we offer them to the community. And when he fills up, he fills up. You can find out more about Pete's coaching in the show notes. Next up, tracking your portfolio for tax. I think you are because I think you have to. So we've partnered with Nevexa to help you manage your share and ETF reporting, whether it's tax or performance. All RASC users get 20% off an annual plan with Nevexa. You can sync your portfolio with Nevexa's software and it automatically tracks your dividends, your capital gains tax, and more. Again, not a commercial partnership. We don't make anything from working with Nevexa, but they do create some great tools which the RASC community uses each and every day. Number eight, want to run your own business? Maybe you already do. If you want more profit, but less stress, less time consumed, and less energy lost, get in contact. We have a partner business called Inflection. The Inflection Accelerator Program is a complete online course that helps you and a community of members engage and follow a proven strategy for growing your business. I'm grateful to be one of the coaches inside the Accelerator program, helping business owners right across Australia. You can find more following the link in your podcast player. It's the one that says coaching. Number nine, if you haven't already checked it out, join over 20,000 other people who tune into the Rask YouTube channel. It is completely free and you get notified when we go live and when we publish podcast episodes. There is a podcast on the Rask network each and every day, as well as bite-sized material that's less than 60 seconds or those really punchy tutorials and webinars that are just 15 minutes that take you through a really exciting topic, whether it's how to buy a property, whether it's how to pick a dividend ETF. Some of our most popular content actually just explains things like, what the heck is franking credits and how do I calculate if I've got some? That's on our YouTube channel. Number 10, if you want to be a better investor, a saver, a better partner with money, or just understand your own relationship with money, you can do that all of that 
by going to the RASC Education website and taking a free course. We've enrolled over 26,000 students at the time of this recording, and we're on a mission to get to 100,000 in the next few years. RASC Education is our mostly free education platform covering everything from budgeting and automation to the probably, I would say, the best value investing program in the country. So whether you're a value investor, an intermediate investor, you want to know how to value Woolworth shares, or you simply just want to understand what ethical investing is or buy your first property and what actually happens on settlement day, head to the Rask Education website and enroll in something today. It is free and it supports us because then I can come on here next month and I can say we've got 27,000. And hopefully we reach critical mass where we can help more Australians manage their money better. Thank you for listening to this long-winded ad. If you want to get in contact with me, you know where to go. There's a link in your show notes. Basically, these 10 services, even though some of them we don't make any money from, support RASC and allow us to produce these podcasts, attract the biggest and best guests from Australia and around the world, and bring them to you to answer your questions. Thank you for being part of the RASC network, and thank you for your ongoing support. Bye for now.